At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. The Black Lives Matter movement has emerged as a leading force in the fight to prevent police killings of African Americans. But a recent story is raising questions about whether key leaders of that movement have lost their way. People have been asking, not even outside you know, in the populace, about how the money has been spent for Black Lives Matter, Global Network Foundation, but the chapters themselves that have been struggling and have been seeing people go homeless that have dedicated their lives to this. They've been asking for years, how is this money being spent and why aren't we getting more support? Is the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation in a crisis? And what could that mean for the movement? Coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Black Lives Matter began as a hashtag marking the death of Trayvon Martin and the failure to find justice after his killing. In the years since, Black Lives Matter has grown into a movement with international recognition and power. It's always important to remember that Black Lives Matter is a movement, but also a political ideology and a complex web of organizations. The movement has inspired millions to protest police violence. The ideology has influenced American politics for the last decade, and the organizations have pushed for social justice and policy. Now one of those core groups, the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, is the subject of a recent report about its finances. Specifically, its purchase of a $6 million home in Malibu under the guidance of the group's former leader, Patrice Cullors. The story, published in New York Magazine, has fueled questions about the foundation's judgment and whether it's still a credible voice in the BLM movement. Investigative journalist Sean Campbell is the reporter behind the story, and he joins us now. Sean Campbell, welcome to A Word. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. So as far as your reporting goes, what is the difference between the Black Lives Matter movement and the specific organization that you investigated for your story? Black Lives Matter as a movement is a collective ideology where people uh, and organizations that agree with the statement that Black Lives Matter and they look to end police brutality. The Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, while it may have become one of the more prominent and more well-known of the organizations within that movement, it is not the movement itself. It is a separate organization that has collected money some through nonprofits and for-profit entities, and it has control over its own finances as it's operated through numerous areas of the nonprofit sector. So is there a Black Lives Matter organization that's different from the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation? Like, can I give to a local BLM or is there a national BLM I can give to that is different from this? Or is the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation the umbrella for all of the local chapters. 
Yeah, the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation is the umbrella for chapters that are affiliated with it. At one point, there were up to 45 chapters that were associated with the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. And as things evolved over time with more questions around financing and how money was being spent, that number winnowed down to around five now. Uh, so at one point, it was 45. Then last time before the chapters were taken off the website, it was 17. Now there's about five or six. Last time I saw some sort of a, an official count on that. Now there are local organizations and local groups that still have the name Black Lives Matter. They've had that name for years, so maybe they don't want to change their name or they still believe in that cordiology, but they aren't a part of the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. A good example of this is a group called the BLM 10, where in November of 2020, uh, after 90 million some odd dollars came in to the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, they began to really push for financial transparency. They had been pushing for years, they weren't getting a lot of answers, and it came to a head when they knew there was a lot of money coming in and they had no clarity as to how that money was being spent, where the funds were going, and they themselves were suffering because they didn't have funds to do their on the ground organizing. So they broke away, they put out a letter calling for accountability. Now a lot of those groups still maintain the name Black Lives Matter Safe. Philadelphia, Black Lives Matter, DC. They're known for that. They filed nonprofit paperwork, some of them it, with that name. Now there are other groups that used to have the name Black Lives Matter and they were tired of being not just affiliated, but associated with the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. So they changed their names entirely because they didn't want that ideology or what was being done and said by the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation as in some way speaking for them or even people think that it was speaking for them. The big sexy tagline, the thing that everybody is paying attention to with the story that you wrote for New York Magazine is that the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, a specific organization with BLM in the title, purchased a $6 million house in Malibu. Talk to us about this house and what was the process and the explanation that the organization used for buying it. This house itself is a very luxury property. It has a main property and an adjacent property as a studio, multiple fireplaces, one of which is an outdoor Italian marble fireplace. Uh, there's half a dozen bedrooms and bathrooms. There's numerous other amenities like a recording studio. And this was purchased without many people within the organization knowing about it and definitely not being released to the general public. Now, there was an explanation that was given by the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, but honestly, this explanation was given after I had contacted them about the home. After I learned about the property and then I traced back the origin of the purchase and how it was purchased, I then, through inside information in my story, I referenced a memo that I had received after I had contacted them that they we're then going to say that the house was dedicated for an artist retreat where they could use it as an influencer house and they could use this to promote the movement. And I know for a fact that this was being done specifically to deflate news breaking of this nearly $6 million home purchase. One of the other things that we learned and they've said since that is that they also wanted to use it as a safe house as kind of their justification for this. Now this safe house 
is in obvious tension with the idea of it also being a house where people are going to be influencing potentially millions of people. That's a very public space, safe house. You actually want to be anonymous. And also, if you're going to have a safe house, there's probably better ways you can spend money for a safe house than a nearly $6 million luxury item in Malibu, as you had said before. How I know how the property was used were that there were leaders that had stayed there for a number of days when they felt their lives were threatened. That's what they say is to why they stayed there. And also that Patrice Colors had been using the property to create a number of YouTube videos that were only on her personal YouTube channel. So this wasn't on the Black Lives Matter Global Network YouTube channel. This was Patrice Colors on YouTube where she created a number of videos from her baking a peach cobbler with her aunt to reacting to viral TikTok videos of Karen's And one that we went through a conversation with in the article was a conversation between Patrice Cullors, Melina Abdullah, and Alicia Garza when they're sitting out in the patio of this lavish home in front of this Italian marble fireplace talking about the work that they had done during the movement and honestly kind of pushing aside some of the comments they had received in the past, especially when it came to Patrice Cullors having previously been called out for owning multiple homes worth nearly $3 million at the time of purchase. We're going to take a short break. We come back more on misconduct allegations at the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. This is a word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. This is Jason Johnson, host of a word slates podcast about race and politics and everything else. I want to take a moment to welcome our new listeners. If you've discovered a word and like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know what you think by writing us at a word at slate.com. Thank you. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today we're talking about charges of financial impropriety at the BLM Global Network Foundation with journalist Sean Campbell. So what Patrice Cullors was criticized for in an article that I think came out last year was owning a bunch of different homes, right? And if I understand the chronology properly, she left the Black Lives Matter Global Network after that article came out? Yes, roughly a month afterwards is when she announced her resignation. Right. My first question to you about that, because I think, again, a lot of this regular people here and they sort of confuse things. These were all homes that Patrice Cullors bought with her own money. They weren't purchased with like organization money, correct? As far as we know, yes, that is correct. Okay. So that's the, the first thing I want to make sure is laid out. And she was no longer with the organization. When you tried to talk to the founders of the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, How receptive were they 
to talking to you? And I know that seems like a silly question, but like for regular people, they don't know. I mean, sometimes folks are, sometimes it's the law and order where they're like, no, I won't want to talk to you. And other times they're like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll chat with you. And they don't realize, you know, they don't see is it a problem. How did people respond when you wanted to reach out? And what did you tell them you were writing about? They were not receptive at all, I would say, especially early on. When I had first sent out as standard practice, so I learned about the home purchase. I learned that a man named Dame Pascal had purchased the home. Dame Pascal financial manager for Patrice Colors' consultant firm and also the father of her child, his LLC. And through that, I was kind of like, well, this seems odd. This is a nearly $6 million purchase in cash. The person at question it was not the kind of person who would just have $6 million lying around. So things seem strange there. I asked them questions. I laid out basically, here is what I have for how the home was purchased, who purchased it, the dates that it happened, and questions on how the home was used. Because I also knew from sources that I had that there had been coordination with a security hub that Black Lives Matter was using to monitor property where Patrice Colors is brother was the head of the security there, monitoring not only that home, but also her other properties that, again, we believe she purchased with her own funds. And there was also non-disclosure agreements that we had also seen that had the names of people who were working maintenance, like pool, lawn care, housekeeping. Her mother had a, a, a non-disclosure agreement for a house cleaning contract. So these are family members close and also her sister. Also, we saw an NDA associated with her as well. So these are people, her direct family, that were tied closely in with this home. And these were all part of my questions. How was it used? How do you guys use this? Why is only place we're seeing this used for Patrice Colors' personal YouTube channel and some other questions. And the first response that I received was actually not even sent to me directly. It was sent to the one of the head lawyers at New York Magazine, Vox Media, uh, from Patrice Colors' lawyer, saying that my questions were defamatory and also that they would like another 24 hours to respond. Now, after that initial contact and that 24-hour you know, extension, which we agreed to, I then learned that that immediately sent them into a damage control mode where they had to figure out a reason to explain the existence of this house. And through those conversations and also the memo, I had confirmed that the house was purchased with BLM funds and they weren't even certain exactly how it was going to fit in legally with their finances and also explaining just how they were using the resources in and around the home. Now, after that, or through those conversation, or through those conversations uh, that I believe took place, uh, that actually I know took place, and the memo, part of their strategy was to delay talking to me and seeing if they could break the story with another newsroom or in some way announce uh, information that would deflate the story. That was actually the language that was used in the memo: finding a way to deflate the story. Uh, I've since learned too that. I, I shouldn't say learn, but it's out there. It's been reported that they've had a gathering with other media, especially within the black media. I was not invited to that gathering. But I was not a part of any of those conversations. So since then, I've not had any contact in terms of disclosing additional information or have been invited 
to any of those conversations. Some of the pushback from supporters of the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation and even some of their members has been, look, lots of other large nonprofits purchase buildings, United Way, NEKC Foundation, other organizations buy big buildings as an investment. Why is Black Lives Matter doing that so problematic? Why does that seem to be something that's worth scrutiny when lots of large nonprofits purchase real estate? What's your response to that sort of pushback? So, um, and first of all, I also want to say something else too, that in the reporting, we don't have any allegations. Like these are all facts. These are all details that we have. Uh, other people can make allegations. Um, when I reach out to experts about this, why might this be a problem? Well, for one, I think the biggest one is that this home was on the books for over a year, 17 months. And the only reason it became well-known was, at at least the timing of it, was because I had asked them about it. And up until that point, it was only used by Patrice Cullors and Melina Abdullah, who were connected within the organization and for Patrice Cullors' personal YouTube channel, as far as we know. It wasn't like this was being utilized for a number of reasons. As far there were actually members of the organization that were very surprised to learn of the existence of this home. A lot outside of just the general population. So when you talk about any of these other groups, you know, when they make a purchase like this, it's known, it's talked about. So there hadn't been any of that. So that's an issue right there. And when I talk to experts about this, you know, that's one of those things where they're just like, well, that raises a lot of questions. You know, when you have a security force that's headed by the brother, uh, when you have staff for the home also related to Patrice Colors, when you have not very many people knowing about it, when you also have it being used for a personal YouTube channel, all of these are nonprofit resources seemingly being utilized by a private individual. Now that's not kosher with nonprofit governance. Nonprofits can own property and they can use nonprofits for the mission of the nonprofit, but a nonprofit can't buy property for a private individual or buy property and resources specifically specifically for the use of a private individual. Another thing too is that when we're talking about order of priorities, when you look at the address on the filings for the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, It is not a physical address or an address that is a building. It is a mailbox in Oakland. So if you're talking about purchasing property, any of those other organizations that you've mentioned, they have other buildings that are office spaces that they at least lease, rent, et cetera, before they go about buying multi-million dollar properties that have, there's a question as to how those properties were being used. So yeah, and there's plenty of that. And there's also just the dedication of resources. It has been a known problem within the Black Lives Matter movement that many of the activists who are doing on the on the ground work, they're so passionate for it, and this doesn't pay much, that they are going homeless. They're going hungry. And they've approached the organization about this. Not only have they been asking, how is the, how is the money being used? Are we going to be seeing any of this money? They said, we have people that don't have homes. When you have all these other issues within the movement and money that's honestly being collected off the work of people within the movement, how are those funds being used? And when we talk about, you know, I think what they, people talk about the Red Cross or they talk about, we even talk about purchases of property with Doctors Without Borders or the ACLU. Now, the people who work for those, the doctors, the lawyers, 
they aren't facing homelessness at the level or extent that we're seeing with people who are working in activism uh, within the Black Lives Matter movement. We're going to take a short break. We come back more about the controversy surrounding the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about allegations of financial impropriety at the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation with investigative reporter Sean Campbell. One of the things when Black Lives Matter, the movement started before specific organizations, because, again, I want to make it clear to the audience that there are lots of different organizations that have Black Lives Matter in the name. Right. We're talking about a situation where you can't lump them all together. But one of the the sort of themes or attitudes of the movement has always been, hey, we don't have a central leader. We don't want to have some charismatic leader as a man or a woman who either one can be taken down by scandal, two could be you know, assassinated by the state or some vigilante. They prided themselves on not having a centralized leadership. Do you think a lack of centralized leadership might have led to what you discovered with this housing purchase and some of the other decisions? So the first part of that I'll answer is even though they've said that they are they don't, they don't say leaderless, they say leaderful organization. I think there is a clear leadership structure here with the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. Uh, I mean, even just for filing of paperwork, there has to be an executive director. That executive director was Patrice Cullors for uh, a number of years. So there was a very clear leadership structure and who was actually controlling the finances and all the paperwork and things like that. But to the point of does there need to be a central leadership structure? Is that part of the issue here? I would say no. There are numerous kinds of models where you can operate without a centralized leadership and uh, that don't have like one person at the head. There's a model that, and I want to make sure I get his name right because I, I, I talked with him for the first story, uh, but a model that he he coined as the a starfish kind of a model. This is a Kwasi Kanadu. He's a professor of African history at Colgate University. He talked about a structure that would he felt would help the movement. And this is honestly based off of his research and looking into uh, previous uh, civil rights movements like 1960s and 70s and black power politics of the 70s, where you have autonomous groups that would operate independently, work independently, and then get together to make decisions and how things were going to be done, organized, and then break apart. So like a starfish, you have multiple arms stretching out in different ways, and they might connect at a central hub, and then they could break apart and go about doing their own thing. And if you think more about like the actual anatomy of a starfish, which probably nerds like me know, uh, no no foot or piece of a starfish is actually connected to a central brain. Each piece is operating independently towards a common goal, which is... They could be cut off and they still function, yes. So all of that is a model that can theoretically work and has worked in the past when it comes to uh, civil rights movements, especially black power politics. But that is not what has been here, where we have a core group of people, a handful of people, honestly, who have controlled a majority of the media messaging and the funds. Uh, I mean, the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation owns the website domain blacklivesmatter.com. So when people just Google Black Lives Matter, they're directed to blacklivesmatter.com, which is the Global Network Foundation. 
Now, all those funds coming into that one area, there isn't a pool that the starfish can utilize and each of the individual groups can take advantage of. As far as I've learned from talking with people, seeing emails and seeing other communications, despite being asked time and again, how much money do we have? How is the money being used? When are we going to see some money? There's been constant pushback by people within this core leadership of the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation to not disclose that information and to keep it as opaque as possible, even down to the basic leadership structure. Local groups have been asking back to 2016, who exactly is in charge? Who's making these decisions? The the organization seems to be funding doing this and that, and we don't know who's making these, these decisions because we didn't agree on any of this. Do you think it's possible that... Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation as a relatively new organization, because again, the movement's 10 years, right? It's a relatively newish organization. You have a lot of people who are learning on the job. Uh, they're getting a lot of different advice. And then also suddenly, although there have always been questions, they are just flush with cash after Lloyd Floyd's death. Do you think there's a possibility that this could be mismanagement based on inexperience, based on taking bad advice? Or do you think, based on your investigation, that this does imply sort of intentional or tacit acceptance of corruption? Because that's frankly what this all boils down to. If it's consistent incompetence because suddenly people are getting millions of dollars that they didn't expect and they don't know what they're doing, it's like, okay, that's bad, but that can happen. But if it's, no, 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 we got a pattern here of these people raising money off of dead black children and then using it to stuff their own pockets. Because that's the core issue here. Which do you think it is after doing your investigation? I don't want to speculate here. Uh, I don't have the full picture. I, I think, you know, there could be one way or the other uh, when it comes to answering that specifically. Now, I don't have the powers to get all the documentation to actually say, like, this is exactly what it is. So I don't want to speculate on that. But what I do want to address is the one part of learning on the job and all of that. Now, we're talking about people who have said that they were leaders within nonprofit sector and had their own nonprofits years ago. Now, most of the most basic nonprofit structure or just getting it started would entail that you learn and get up to speed with some of these basics. Now, Patrice Cullors had given a public media statement where she had said that that she thought talking about the finances was triggering and endangering to herself and others. Now, these, this is the basics of nonprofit structure and governance. And she's had multiple nonprofits connected to her and also the people within the Black Lives Matter Gold Network Foundation. So now when we talk about, you know, a certain bit of naivete or not necessarily knowing how to go about doing these kinds of things. For one, this isn't new. Also, if you're learning on the job and you're actually legitimately struggling with this, I think there's a question of why are you and others starting your own nonprofit groups and then connecting them. In addition to this, if you're so troubled by really organizing this one nonprofit that's honestly getting funds and there wasn't just a windfall that came in with the death of George Floyd. That was the biggest windfall. But from the financial documents with Thousand Currents, the organization that was fiscally sponsoring, managing Black Lives Matter, uh, Global Network Foundations funds up until uh, summer of 2020, through those financial documents, they showed 
that Black Lives Matter was getting millions of dollars each year. So there was a lot of money already coming in, um, not a huge amount of money, but a significant amount of money. And the story that I had done before the break of the house, how some of the funds were utilized by Patrice Cullors' other nonprofits, uh, there was questions there. Because when we talk about uh, not only this organization, the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, but Patrice Cullors has her own nonprofit, Dignity and Power Now, and she also is head of Reform LA Jails. Now, other reporting I had done shows that the chief financial officer for Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, Dignity and Power Now, the treasurer of Reform LA Jails, and the Black Lives Matter PAC is one person, that's Shalomia Bowers. So the person writing all the checks is one person. When you look at how money was spent through Reform LA Jails, which engages in political activity, they have to disclose how much money is being spent. A, a significant of all the funds that were spent in 2019 went to four people, went to Patrice Cullors through her consulting firm, went to Shalomia Bowers, went to Asha Bandelay, who is friends with and helped Patrice Cullors write her memoir, uh, her first memoir, and Damon Turner, the father of Patrice Cullors' child. So I'm willing to give leeway and people learning on the job, but at some point, I think people really have to question how is this governance being done? And then also, if you're struggling so much with maintaining one organization, how are you starting multiple other organizations? Within the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, it was announced in their impact statement that they not only had this foundation, but they decided to start a Black Lives Matter political action committee. They decided to start Black Lives Matter Grassroots, which is a separate entity that's supposed to be working for the local on-the-ground movements, which there's questions there as to how much is actually being done to help the local on-the-ground movement uh, and, and those local groups. So there's a lot of things here which raise questions in the spending, in the interconnectedness, in the constant uh, shifting in and around funds and organizations that when I ask experts about this, they have questions and they're like, you can only go so far with this until someone else might want to investigate and might want to look and see how things are going on because there are, they believe, serious concerns here. Sean, I want to understand this. You said that a lot of the money that was raised, it seems to keep going to a certain number of people. How much money from which entity went to one small group of people? I just I just want to have that clear so that we're not confusing who's receiving these funds and how much they're receiving and, and what percentage of the overall funding was going to a particular group of people. To get an idea of the spending, we can look at some of the other nonprofits that have been started and run by Patrice Cullors, who was the executive director. Now, looking back at her LA nonprofits, Dignity and Power Now, and Reform LA Jails. Reform LA Jails is a political action committee based in California. So when they spend money, they have to disclose it publicly. They have to say how much they've given and whom they've given it to. Now, that organization raised in 2019 roughly $1.4 million, and more than half of that was paid can be traced back to four individuals. Can be traced back to Shalomia Bowers, who is also the uh, Chief Financial Officer for Dignity and Power Now, Treasurer for Black Lives Matter PAC, Treasurer for Reform LA Jails, and is the Deputy Executive Director and Financial Manager for the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. Janaya and Patrice Consulting, which is owned by Patrice Cullors. Asha Bandele, who helped Patrice Cullors write her memoir, When They Call You a Terrorist. 
and Damon Turner, the father of Patrice Cullors' child. So this is more than half of $1.4 million went to, can be traced back to those four individuals. I want to close with this, um, because I think this is the key question. Where does the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation go from here? The Black Lives Matter movement obviously will continue. But where does the organization that you specifically studied, where do they go from here? That's for the organization to figure out. That's for the funders, the donors, the people who are connected to the organization to really ask themselves how much they want to put into the foundation and how the foundation is going to address some of the issues that, again, the not allegations, but facts that I've raised in my recording have brought forward. There are allegations that can be made, but that's for other people besides me, for people who have oversight authority can legit ask and demand certain filings, certain uh, communications and other things to determine for certain. I can't say for certain, and it's not my place to say. That's not my job. My job is simply to report the facts as I found them, as I relayed them, because people have been asking, not even outside you know, in the populace, about how the money has been spent for Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, but the chapters themselves that have been struggling and have been seeing people go homeless that have dedicated their lives to this, they've been asking for years, how is this money being spent and why aren't we getting more support? Sean Campbell is a writer and an investigative journalist. His report on the Black Lives Matter Global Foundation Network was published in New York Magazine. You can find a link on our show page. Sean Campbell, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. And that's a word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Jasmine Ellis. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of podcasts at Slate. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for Word.